Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, I am excited this morning to jump into a new sermon series that we are starting today that's going to take us through the next few months. We're going to be going through the book of Romans together as a church. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to jump in in just a few moments there. But I want to introduce this idea here. We, We, every year, kind of the rhythm of the life of our church, you know, we've got these different seasons in the church life. Of course, Easter and Christmas and things like that. But when we get, we approach the summer months, we always, uh, as long as I've been the pastor here, have taken a book of the Bible and done a deep dive, go chapter and verse and, and just section by section through a book of the Bible. Or if it's a shorter book of the Bible, sometimes we'll put a couple of them together, like First and Second Peter, things like that. And then we walk through that book of the Bible over a period of months, and it just kind of forms our steady diet over a period of time. And I use that word intentionally, a steady diet, because this is, God's word is something that our soul needs. We need God's word. And so when we kind of walk through one of these books, we're looking at this as nourishment over a long period of time from a particular place in the Bible. Jesus said, when he was talking to Satan, he was being tempted by Satan. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we're looking to God's word to sustain us, to encourage us, to lift us up, to to give our souls what our souls need, the nourishment we get from him. And I'm really excited to dive into the book of Romans over the next few months together as a church. And so we're beginning today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Um, and we're going to actually jump in right now. So we'll jump in because it, it forms a, itself as a good intro to this series. So we're going to read the first seven verses um, and then stop and talk about what we see there. Here we go. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you might be tempted when you're reading a book like Romans because it's a long book. It'll take you about an hour to read through the whole thing, maybe a little bit longer than that, depending on how fast of a reader you are. You might be tempted to skip over the intro. It's like the yada, yada, you know, blah, blah. It's Paul, I get it. But there's so much in here in these first seven verses that I want us to think about a little bit together. First thing I want you to notice is this is a letter. This is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. Many of these letters that he wrote you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, these kind of books were written to churches that he had started. And he received word later from, from the church that they were dealing with some sort of challenge. And so he writes this letter to help them address those challenges and work through those things. Um, Romans is unique in the sense that he has never been to Rome. And if you read through the whole book of Acts, which is the story of the early days of, of the church, it concludes with Paul finally making it to Rome. He's finally made it there, and he made it there as a prisoner, but he's made it to Rome. And he finally gets to bring the message of Jesus there. But the message of Jesus actually got there before him. Um, And we'll talk about that 
uh, later probably in the series. We're not exactly sure how this happened. Um, but Christi- the message of Jesus made it there before Paul ever did. So this is a letter, as I mentioned, and a typical greeting, this is a pretty typical greeting in ancient letter writing. We've got lots of copies of other ancient letters that are not included in scripture, but usually people would introduce themselves in the beginning of the letter, which is convenient. You know, usually in our modern letter writing format, although I know we don't do a lot of letters these days, uh, the, the, the person's name is included at the very end, but in ancient letter writing, they would include it at the beginning. So he introduces himself, and he takes a little bit of a longer time than he would in his other letters because he's never been to Rome. Um, Paul describes himself in these three ways that I think are profound in verse one. He says, I am Paul, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm a servant of him. That's part of his identity. The way he thought of himself is he is a servant. And this word servant can also be translated slave. He's saying, I'm completely subjecting my life to Jesus and what he wants. I'm a slave of Christ or a servant of Christ. The second piece is that he says, I'm called to be an apostle. He's one of these leaders of the early church and he's called by God to be an apostle. He's set apart for the gospel of God, which is the third part of his introduction there. Set apart for the gospel of God. In the scripture, this idea of setting something apart for a special service or a special purpose is this word holy. That's literally what the word holy means. It's set apart for something specific. And Paul views his own life that way. He's saying, I'm set apart for the purpose of serving God. And specifically, he said, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, this word gospel is gonna be all over this book and it's all over the introduction that we're gonna be going through Um, together today. It's the gospel, which literally just means good news. He says about this gospel that it was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's saying this didn't just appear out of nowhere, that what Jesus came to do was predicted all throughout the Scriptures. And it's specifically this gospel of God is not just promised beforehand, but it's not just a what as well, it's a who. The gospel is a who. The good news is about a who. He he says it's about the son of God. It's about Jesus Christ who was descended from David. He talks about his human origin, like the the fact that he was um, human but also divine, 100% God, 100% man is how we talk about that. He says he was descended from David according to the flesh, but he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This word resurrection is an important word, an important concept for us, right? This is all over the scriptures. After Easter this year, we spent a few more weeks reflecting on what the difference the resurrection makes, that it's not just an event that we celebrate or this thing that is, hey, it's Easter time, and that's when we talk about the resurrection, but it's a reality in which we live. The resurrected Jesus continues to live, continues to minister on our behalf. He is risen from the dead, and this was the, like, the main point that the early leaders in the church had anywhere they went. I want to tell you about Jesus. He died, but he rose again. And then he ascended into heaven. It was, they couldn't stop talking about it. And he brings it up here early in the letter. And that saying that this declared him, this this, um, didn't make him the son of God, but declared him to be so. He is the son of God. And one of the ways we know that is because of the resurrection. The gospel simply means good news 
as I mentioned. And this word is not commonly used outside of church context. When we, we hear the word gospel, we expect it to be spoken in a, in a church context. But in Paul's day, the word gospel was used in pr- pretty widely when it came to just someone bearing good news. And specifically, it would have been used of the leaders of like the, the, the Roman Empire, the Caesar, the gospel of the Caesar. One of the, um, I think it was Caesar Augustus when he was born, they, they sent out messengers throughout the land with the gospel, the good news about today, this Caesar has been born. You know, this, this new leader in the Roman Empire uh, was born today and will, you know, this is this idea of good news. And it's the word euangelion in the, in the Greek, which is where we get the word evangelism from. That the good news about, um, about anything, could be any topic, but specifically the way Paul's using it, of course, is talking about who Jesus is. During Paul's time in the Roman Empire, the people who received this letter would have been dealing with something that was beginning and would be a challenge to the early church, which is this rise of this alternate religion that was all about worshiping the emperor that the Roman emperors were not viewed anymore as just great political leaders or great warriors, but they were viewed to be gods, divine, and they expected to be worshipped in that way. And so the, the readers of this letter receiving this, or the original hearers of this letter, when they heard the word gospel, likely they would have thought about the gospel that they heard proclaimed about the Caesar. The Caesar has conquered some far-off enemy and he brings good news. These messengers, they would arrive before the Roman military would come back to Rome and they'd say, we, have, we come bearing the gospel, the good news that this Caesar has conquered his enemies and he brings good news for all of you Roman citizens. And, and Paul says, I've got the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of God, he calls it. There's this good news about who Jesus is, about what he's done for humanity, and he is here. What, what he brings can change everything. What he has done, if we really understand that and let it impact us, can transform our entire lives. This is the gospel message of Jesus. Now, I've had a crazy, a little bit of a crazy week, uh, capping off with a crazy weekend, and so I've put a temporary slide together. This is not gonna be the title of the series. Um, during the whole series, but I've given it this, it's humorous, and it's meant to be humorous, but it's punny in a way that I, um, a little too punny even for me, and I've got low standards, Um, but we're calling calling today and today only, this is not the name of the series moving forward, the book of Romans, Grace Anatomy, okay, you get it, there's a little bit of a Grace Anatomy, now I've given it that title, Again, today and today only. It will be different next week when you come back. We were debating about what the subtitle of the series should be amongst the teaching team members. Um, but because the week was bananas, and you can ask me about that after the service is done, um, I, I just I knew I had to get something on the screen this morning. And so this is what we've got. The Book of Romans, Grace, Anatomy. And I'm calling it that today and today only because this is what the Book of Romans does. It, it is like a, it goes into the depths of what Jesus has done for us, and it traces through the story of Scripture on almost an anatomical level in detail. You know, if you've ever taken an anatomy class, you're learning about the human body and all the little parts and pieces and how they work together and the different systems of that. And Paul does something similar when it comes to the gospel. He is looking at it at a deep level. He's going into great detail to talk about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and he's tracing it through the Old Testament, 
going all the way back to Abraham and these stories of scripture and saying, this is how this played out through scripture, bringing us to where we are today. And he gives all kinds of context so we can understand God's grace and the message of the gospel at a deeper level than maybe we ever have before. And I've got to admit right at the beginning here that I have been intimidated about doing the, diving into this book. Um, I've been preaching regularly on Sunday mornings for 15 years. And um, I've never taught through Romans. I've taught through little pieces of it probably, but never the entire book. And we're gonna be in this journey for the next few months together. And I've been a little intimidated by it, but I come across something that made me feel a little bit better about being intimidated by this book. And it's something that the apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter three. Um, in 2 Peter chapter three, let me get there in my notes. 2 Peter three fifteen through 16. Um, Peter says this about Paul's writing. He says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters. When he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And when I read this, I go, I think of the apostle Peter right? Hanging out with, he hung out with Jesus. He heard Jesus' teachings directly, and he knows Paul. They've become friends. They're co-workers in the gospel, and he says, Paul has been writing in these scriptures, these, the, the teachings of um, the Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul, and he says, some of the things are hard to understand, and I say, thank you, Peter. <laughs> you, you find them hard to understand, too, and, and I appreciate that, and it makes me feel way better about some of what we're going to be heading into over the next few months, because it does get deep, like I said, again, almost an anatomical level of grace and the details about what Jesus has done for us and then tracing it through scripture so that we can understand just how good this good news is. One of the reasons we're doing this study, again, we, we go through a book every summer, but this book in particular, this letter of Paul to the Romans has transformed so many lives. I've been studying church history with a, a group of our homeschool students um, here at the church in our co-op, and we've been talking about church history and, and just the story of Christianity from the time of the apostles until today. And this book stands out amongst any of the other books as being so transformative for so many people. And I wanna give you a few examples of what I mean by that. So St. Augustine, who was a leader in the early, like the 300s um, in the early church, he was someone who lived a very wild life before he came to Christ. And he struggled with temptation and he, he just, he felt this pull between the faith of his mother and the, the world's belief system and all the pleasures and things that were on offer out there in the world. And, and, but he, he was miserable following his own way and following his own path. And so I wanna read you a little snippet of, of part of his testimony, part, part of how he came to Christ. This is in the summer of AD 386, Augustine or Augustine, a native of Tagaste in North Africa, and now for two years professor of rhetoric at Milan, sat weeping in the garden of his friend. Almost persuaded to begin a new life, yet lacking the final resolution to break with the old. And as he sat, he heard a child singing in a neighboring house. I'm not going to try to read the Latin words that he heard, but it's this in English. Take up and read, take up and read. And he's picking up a scroll which lay at his friend's side. He let his eyes rest on the words, not in reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans 13, 13 to 14. He says, no further would I read, he tells us, nor had I any need. Instantly at the end of the sentence, a clear light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. What the church and the world owe to this influx of light which illuminated Augustine's mind as he read these words of Paul is something beyond our power to compute. Later, Martin Luther, a monk in the 1500s who was involved in the Reformation, kicking off the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, was a Catholic monk who was another person who was miserable and he was searching for something and what he found what he needed in the book of Romans. Um, he describes this idea as pondering the question about the righteousness of God. What does it mean, that, that God's righteousness? What, what does that phrase mean, that concept mean? And he, he said, as he pondered this question, his attention was more and more attracted to Paul's statement in Romans 1.17, which is a verse we'll end with this morning, that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, he, he, he who through faith is righteous shall live the outcome of his study is best told in his own words. I'd longed to understand Paul's letter to the Romans and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous, night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to, be, became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. It's transformative. If we will understand the message of the book of Romans, it can change our lives the way it's changed so many lives before us. One, one more example. John Wesley was an English minister um, in the 1700s. And he was someone who cared about holiness and righteousness. He was someone that was all about living the right way. He believed that one of the ways we needed to follow God, one of the ways we needed to achieve salvation is to live in a holy way. And he took that seriously. And he tried to get as many people around him to take this seriously. He went on a missions trip from England into Georgia back when it was still the colonies, and he came to spread the gospel to the Native Americans there in Georgia. But on the journey, his, on the voyage over, there was a great storm, and he was afraid. And in moments like this, when you're going through something stressful and fearful, you begin to see, hey, what I believe, does it work in moments like these? And John Wesley uh, saw a group of Christians known as the Moravians that were also on the same voyage. And he saw the way they handled the storm compared to the way he handled the storm. Here, here's the story. It says, he set out in October 1735 on a ship carrying 80 English colonists and 26 Moravians. John got to know these Moravian Christians, appreciating their radiant joy and deep devotion. And this was especially apparent one night just as the Moravians had begun their evening psalm singing. The windswept sea lashed at the ship, ripping the mainsail and pouring through the decks. The English passengers were screaming, but the Moravians kept singing. He had a conversation with one of the Moravians after the storm was over. He says, weren't you afraid? Weren't your women and children afraid? The Moravian gently replied, 
No, our women and children are not afraid to die. After the ship landed, Wesley continued similar conversations with the Moravian pastor who launched some challenging questions of his own. The pastor said, have you the witness within yourself? He asked John Wesley, does the spirit of God witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? This is from Romans as well. Wesley didn't know what to say. The pastor said, do you know Jesus Christ? Wesley's response was, I know he's the savior of the world. True, the pastor responded, but do you know he has saved you? John Wesley was this person that cared about holiness and righteousness, but he didn't have any sense of God's forgiveness that he himself had been transformed by the grace of God. He continued searching. He spent two years in the colonies and then headed back to England. And he said, he came there to save the heathen, is how he put it, but who will save me? He ended up in a gathering with these Moravians that he stayed in contact with until one day, May 24th, 1738, he went to a meeting of these Moravians at Aldersgate Street in London. And in the, he says this, in the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change with, which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley's life was radically transformed at this moment, and he, he went on to spread the gospel far and wide, whether it was on horseback or through writings, and he, he would actually preach sermons, and then people, circuit riders, would come and take those written sermons that he'd preached, and they would preach them all around the United States, all around England at that time. He spread the gospel literally to millions. Society itself changed in England because of his ministry. So many people came to Christ that society itself was transformed. This is how God has used this book in the past. And so I'm asking you this morning, and as we continue through this series, to join me for the journey. We're gonna be wading through some deep water through the course of these, of these months together. But I think it'll help us understand, we will really understand the gospel in a unique way, better than we ever have before as we do this journey together. I wanna continue with what, what Paul was mentioning here in, in the opening of this letter here, verses one through seven. He talks about, he speaks to his own identity, as I mentioned, he's called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, servant of Christ Jesus, but then he speaks to the people that he's writing the letter to. And he says, to all of you in Rome, you are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks to his own identity, but then he speaks to the identity of the original hearers of this letter as well. And I, I want us to hear it too for us. When Paul speaks to them, he says, this is what's true about you. And this is what's true for any of you who are followers of Christ. You are loved by God. You are loved by God. And we don't understand just the, we, we understand the bare minimum of what this means. God loves us with an everlasting love. And if we can understand this at a deeper level, this is transformative. We are loved by God, called to be saints. And we get to experience the grace and peace that only Jesus offers us. Let's continue, verses eight through 15 of the intro here. He says this to them, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 
For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be, may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. One of the things I love about this section here is that he says, I'm thankful for you. But then he goes into specifics. He says, I'm thankful for you because your faith is proclaimed. I've been hearing about your faith. It's proclaimed all over the world. And that's why I'm thankful for you. I think people are vastly underappreciated. And I think we underestimate just how discouraged people are a lot of the time. And there's something powerful about telling someone why you're thankful for them. And I love that Paul does this. He says, I'm thankful for you for this specific reason. Um, And I think we should do this. I think as a part of our regular practice that we appreciate people and are specific in when we appreciate them. He also says, I'm praying for you. And once again, he's specific, which I think is encouraging to hear. If someone says they're praying for you, that's very encouraging. If someone says, this is how I'm praying for you, that's even more encouraging. Paul says, I am longing to get to Rome. I, I so want to be there with you. Rome at this time, of course, was the the center of the ancient world. The Roman Empire was spreading all over the place and it was powerful and it established its power over all the ancient world. And Rome, of course, was the heart of all of this. It was where the, the powerful people lived and Paul was very strategic in how he spread the gospel. And so he wanted to go anywhere where there was a major city where he could get a foothold for the gospel and establish a church and then from there be able to spread out to other people and we have the story of this in the, in the book of Acts, the story of how the gospel spread all over the ancient world. But Paul had never been to Rome, but before he ever arrived, the gospel got there before him. And this is a mystery. We don't know how it got there. We don't know who, who were the first Christians in Rome, but there were Christians there before he ever got there. So they'd started a church and he writes to this church and he says, I cannot wait to get there with you. I want to be there with you. He says that I want to be with you for a specific reason. There's going to be mutual encouragement. I want, to, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I want to be there because me being there, I get to spend time with you and encourage you through what God's given me to deliver to other people. And then he says, also, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He's like, I believe that being with you will be encouraging for me and you'll be encouraged by me being there with you. This is how the church works. That we, we get together and I, I hope that I can encourage you with the messages and you're encouraged with the worship time, but there's this mutual benefit where you have something that someone in the room needs to hear or words of encouragement or words of gratitude or letting someone know that you're praying for them or whatever it might be or something. I've seen this in you and I just really respect that and I admire you. You have encouragement to offer to other people in the church and they do for you as well. And there's something about the way that all works together that's so powerful. He says here that, Um, In verse 14, I am under obligation 
to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. I, I owe you something. Literally in the Greek, it's this idea of a debt. He says, I have a debt to all of these different groups of people. The Greeks, the barbarians, the wise, and the foolish. I, I'm indebted to them until I get to share the gospel with them. There's different ways that you can be in debt to somebody, right? One of them is that you have been, you borrowed money from them. If I borrowed $100 from you, I'm in debt to you until I pay you back the $100 that I owe you. We understand that. But there's another way of being in debt. Maybe someone gave me $100 to give to you. And I've got that $100 for you. And I'm in debt to you until I give that to you. Someone gave me a gift for you and I owe you until I've given it to you. This is the idea that Paul's talking about here. He's been entrusted with the message of Jesus and he's in debt to these people until he gives it, gives it to them. It's an obligation. He's eager, he says, to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Which that phrase should cause us to ask a question. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. If we're thinking about the flow of what we've been talking about already this morning, in verse seven, he calls them saints. You're saints. He's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. But he says, I want to preach the gospel to you. What, what is the gospel that, we, that they would need to receive this? You know, isn't the gospel the message? This is how we begin a relationship with Jesus. It's by grace through faith. We turn from our sins. We receive this gift of salvation that he's given us. He died on the cross for us. Isn't that the gospel? It's how you begin the relationship with Jesus. That's how a lot of us think about the gospel. It's just how you start it. It's how Christianity starts. And then after that, you got to just work really hard. And like, it's God, God you kind of owe God because he's provided this gift of salvation. And so because he's given you salvation, and you get to go to heaven someday when you die, you kind of just owe him now a good life on this side of heaven. And that's, that's not really the gospel. The gospel is the message of how we begin this relationship with Jesus, but it's also how we grow in our relationship with him. Salvation is by grace through faith, but our spiritual growth continues to be by grace through faith. And the more we understand the gospel, the more this transforms us from the inside out and helps us to live the kind of life that God's calling us to live. One of the people who's helped me understand these concepts the most was a man named Tim Keller. And Tim Keller passed away this week after a, a battle with pancreatic cancer. He's someone that I first discovered back in 2005. And I, I just remember later after 2005, he wrote his first book. He was in his late 50s when he wrote his first book. And I, I have listened to so many of his sermons and read so much of his writing. He's one of the most impactful teachers um, on my life. And he passed away this week. But one of the things he said that has impacted me a great deal is this idea that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, but it's the A to Z of the Christian life. We receive God's gift of salvation by grace through faith. We grow by grace through faith. His, the message of Jesus and what he's done transforms us and helps us to live this way. Yes, we put effort into it, but we're not earning anything from God. God's done all the hard work and the heavy lifting. We are allowing him to live his life through us. And I did not get this before I discovered Tim Keller. I really had this kind of idea about the gospel being this, it's, it's how you begin a relationship with Jesus. But it's more to it than that. And Paul recognizes that right here in this passage. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. You're saints already, but you need the gospel. I need the gospel. We all need the gospel of Jesus. So I'm grateful for Tim Keller's impact on my own life and helping me to understand that. 
We're gonna read two more verses, um, and this, these two verses will form the foundation for the rest of our study. These two verses are very important, and they will set up where Paul is going, um, where we'll see over the next few weeks. So Romans chapter one, let's read verses 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the theme. This is the the whole kind of point of this book. And he's going to unpack these ideas in verses 16 to 17 over the rest of the book. He says, first of all, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. And I'm, I'm eager because I am not ashamed. I am excited to be able to proclaim the message of Jesus to you. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the fact that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And that we, we will live our lives in this way. The righteous shall live by faith. He mentions this idea of the Jew first and also the Greek, which will become important in future weeks because he'll talk about how, what, is this, what Jesus came to do that was pre- previewed in the Old Testament, proclaimed beforehand, now Jesus has fulfilled it. What difference does it make for people from a Jewish cultural background or a non-Jewish cultural background? This early church at Rome was likely made up of, of both Jews and, and Romans. And so this idea is important. He needs to, he's saying that the, all this Old Testament stuff, the things, the laws and the sacrifices, those things don't like cease to matter. This all pointed towards Jesus and I'll point about how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of each of these things. But he says, we live by faith. And this is the message of Romans, um, this idea that in, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The message of what Jesus came to do for humanity is to provide the righteousness of God. It's received by faith. And it's not just that we are given a blank slate when we come to Jesus and receive what he offers us. It's not just like, okay, your sins have been washed away. Now you're good. You're at kind of zero again. And so it's up to you now to live the the life that you should live from here on out. Jesus paid for all those sins in the past, and now it's up to you to pay for kind of sins moving forward to make sure that you stay on the straight and narrow. No, the message of the gospel is that Jesus came to save sinners, and he gives us the righteousness of God. Christ's record is attached to us. That God's, Christ's holiness is given to us as a gift by faith. This is the gospel. Now, I hope um, as we go this, through this series over the next few months, um, I, I promise, here's how I try to teach the Bible. I try to, try to give you handles. I try to give you things that puts, put the cookies on the, you know, not on the top shelf, but on the bottom shelf so we all have access to it. I, I'm going to do my best to teach this deep book in an approachable way that you can have some practical things that will come from it. But I'm excited about taking this journey together. I hope you are as well um, as we unpack the book of Romans together over the next few months. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to close our time with some worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, the, the gospel. We thank you for the good news that your son um, came and lived and died for us so that we might have life with you. 
And Lord, Romans is such a deep look at this, this gift that you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as we take this journey together as a church, that it would be, that it would be life-changing. Lord, that as we see the gospel turned over and over again and around and around so we can look at it in different angles, we would just grow in our appreciation of it and you would transform our lives the way you have countless others before us through the teachings of this letter. We praise you and we thank you for gifts like this, Lord. I pray that you would use it to be very fruitful in our, in our community of faith. So we thank you, Lord, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.